What's going on, New York Giants fans? It's AGP back again, back at it with another podcast episode. You can find us on all the social media platforms. You can find us on the podcast platform, Spotify, Podbean, all those platforms. And also you could find us on YouTube, like usual, for the video version of our podcast, the simulcast, if you will. And starting every Monday, obviously starting yesterday, was the premiere and the inaugural episode of the Boys in the Big Apple podcast, doing that with Sean Carroll and my brother Luca. Going to have fun every single week on there, try to bring on as many guests as possible, also trying to make it as fun as possible and as informative as possible regarding sports. So let's get into it, and our first topic today, or both topics, let's say, are the two trades, or at least two trades that have summed up Dave Gettleman's tenure as New York Giants general manager, at least in the public opinion eye. Now, I'm not going over the Alec Ogletree trade because it's kind of an obvious fact that the Giants either lost that one or they didn't even win. Um, That was probably one of the most obvious, if you want to count how many trades that were in Dave Gettleman's tenure. And I had a past episode where we went over all the trades and basically his tenure you guys can go check that out. That was a couple episodes ago with Jordan Levine of Uncut Sports News. So let's get into the OBJ trade. And that's really, I would say, the top trade that really surfaced his tenure among Giant fans. And this is still talked about today, oddly enough, because a lot of Giant fans, you know, they love Odell. And a lot of Giant fans, you know, hate his antics and his locker room stuff and wanted him trading. You know, it happened. So let's... Started out, I think it was March 13th or March the 12th that the Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr., their star wide receiver, to the Cleveland Browns for Jabril Peppers, a first round pick, which was the 17th overall pick, and a third round pick. That was from the New England Patriots in a trade between the Browns and the Patriots. I forget what trade that was. Um, Nonetheless, that's what the Giants received. Now, in a separate trade, Uh, The New York Giants traded pass rusher Olivier Vernon to the Cleveland Browns for uh, offensive guard Kevin Zeitler. And what a lot of people don't know is I'm pretty sure, and, you know, don't count me on this, but I'm pretty sure they put that into one trade. So that's how I'm going to talk about it today. So combine that trade, Giants got Kevin Zeitler, Jabril Peppers, they also got Dexter Lawrence, who ended up being that 17th overall pick in 2019. And then you get O'Shane Zimenez with the 99th pick in the 2019 draft. The Browns receive Odell Beckham Jr. and Olivier Vernon. And let's go over the fan reaction, because that's probably one of the most important parts of what we're going to, you know, basically element into today. And if I'm going to be honest, I didn't believe all the trade rumors about OBJ. You know, I didn't believe he was going to get traded to the Browns. I didn't believe he was going to get traded to the 49ers. I didn't believe he was going to get traded to all these other teams. I thought it was just NFL's talking heads trying to make clickbait articles and trying to make clickbait content. Um, Obviously, I was proven wrong on March 12th or 13th. And I was pissed off. I was because I'm like, oh, what are we doing? We need to fire Gettleman. You know, that's a fan reaction. And... Something, you know, I've learned over the years as a content creator and just as a fan, some of these things you have to see and watch play out. And we'll get into that, trust me. So, um, I was not happy. The Giants fan base, I would say about 95% wasn't happy. And, you know, 
people were saying, ah, oh, fire Gettleman, fire John Mara, you know, basically, you know, if it was possible, they'd go out and protest them at Life Stadium. If it was possible at that point, I mean, they could have because it was a COVID pandemic, but nonetheless, the Giants fans were in an uproar about this Odell Beckham Jr. trade. So, the events that followed, this is very important because you can't just, you know, say the trade, what happened without any context. The Giants, a couple days after, I think it was 48 hours after it was free agency, they signed Golden Tate to a four-year, $37.5 million contract. Now, I'm going to get into it at the end because there's, you know, obviously talking heads on Giants Twitter that believe, oh, he was the replacement for OBJ. Oh, he was supposed to be OBJ. I don't really believe that, and I'll get into it at the end. So, the Giants actually extended Sterling Shepard in April of that year, four years, $41 million. And that's about $10 million a year annually. So, um, that's basically what Gettleman did, you know, trying to get the position in for whoever may be the next quarterback. Daniel Jones would be that guy. So, Daniel Jones obviously drafted with the sixth overall pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. Moved to the fifth round of the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Giants selected Darius Slayton, Auburn wide receiver. And I had no idea what the guy was going to become. I wasn't anticipated, you know, after the Julian Love pick, I didn't know who any of these guys were. I didn't know who Asafa Jay was. I didn't know who Connolly was. I didn't know who Slayton was. I didn't even know who Ballantine was. And, you know, that was just then. And then obviously going into the future, I knew who some of these guys were. You know, I learn more every year. At least, you know, that's what I say. So that's what the Giants did. And that did impact their wide receiving core because obviously everyone saw it as Shepard's going to be the wide receiver two, Tate's the one, and Slayton might be the three. We'll see what happens. So I don't know how many months into the signing, but the NFL actually suspended Golden Tate for the first four games of the season due to performance-enhancing drugs or something like that along those lines because of a pill he was taking for something. I think it was like something with his, you know, down there spot or I don't know. I'm not going to put a spit on it or, you know, just do that because that would be misinformation. That's what we don't do on Big Blue in the Bronx. What we do do on Big Blue in the Bronx is tell you the facts and, you know, I'm not going to spread a lie like that. So obviously they suspend him for the first couple of games of the season, the first four. And going into training camp and just in training camp, Darius Slayton gets hurt. And I think it was like an ankle injury or some sort of lower body injury. Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So what happened was he gets the nod in game three against the Bengals. He impresses very well. Um, at the same time, I'm pretty sure he re-aggravates that injury. So they rest him for the first couple of weeks. And for the first, let's say, one to two to three weeks, he only has, meaning Daniel Jones, Eli Manning, you know, Jones was switched in in week three. But for the first two weeks, he had Sterling Shepard. He had, um, I think he had Benny Fowler. He had TJ Jones. All these, other than Sterling Shepard, and he got the concussion in week one, so he wasn't able to play. Um, he had Evan Ingram, of course, and he had Saquon Barkley. But he had, you know, other than Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard in week one, 
you had Benny Fowler, you had TJ Jones. If I'm getting it correct, because I know Benny Fowler and TJ Jones were on and off the team. So let's go to uh, week three. Darius Slayton comes back. Evan Ingram is there. Saquon Barkley gets hurt. Tate's still not in yet. So obviously that week, Jones, I'm pretty sure was two touchdown passes or at least one touchdown pass and two fumbles. One of the touchdown passes was to Evan Ingram. And that was a 75-yard touchdown to start off the third quarter. And who was the blocking by? Darius Slayton. You'll see, you know, if you see on the replay, Darius Slayton was one of the guys blocking. And one of the major downfield passes was caught by Darius Slayton. This was, I believe, the drive where Sterling Shepard actually caught the touchdown pass. But I remember it was a deep ball. And Jones was about to be pressured by Carl Nassib. He throws it up in the air, and Darius Slayton makes the catch. So, Tate returns in Week 5. And, you know, I'm not going to make this long-hold story about it, but he was unhappy about the way he started to be uh, involved in the offense. He wasn't targeted much in Week 5. Obviously, they were trying to get him into game, and, you know, it just didn't work out. And, you know, a lot of people ranked him badly based off his Week 5 performance. So go to week six, and he actually caught a touchdown pass from Daniel Jones that week. Jones ended up throwing, I believe, like three picks or something. That was on primetime against the Patriots. So you go to the, just as a 2019 season, as, you know, just as a whole. And his stats on the season, meaning Darius Slayton, 740 yards, 48 receptions, and 8 touchdowns, which I believe was one of the best in the class among wide receivers. DK Metcalf, I believe, was up there. And this is touchdowns. This is not necessarily receiving yards. He had 740, obviously missed a couple of games because of the injury. But then again, you know, led or at least was one of the leaders and rookies with touchdown passes among wide receivers. So, um, Golden Tate... In his 2019 year, he missed five games. One was, I believe, with an injury. I want to say that was one of the games towards the end of the season, but also the four games with the PED suspension. So 49 receptions, 676 yards, uh, six touchdowns, 57.6 catch percentage, and three drops. And something everybody knows about Golden Tate is he's good with yards after catch. And he had 284 that year, 5.8. Uh, per reception and then obviously you have Sterling Shepard Shepard obviously had the injury going back to obviously the two concussions he had he only played 10 games that year 57 receptions 576 yards three touchdowns 68.7 catch percentage with one drop so he is not necessarily the guy to be like Evan Ingram as we call him uh you know dropping passes left and right he's a slot guy He also can occasionally be used on the outside, and he's a red zone target. So let's skip to 2020. New coach, same wide receiver coach, new offensive coordinator. So unlike what I wanted the Giants to do, they didn't select a wide receiver in the draft. I would have wanted Claypool. Van Jefferson was one of my favorites, but they didn't. They selected Xavier McKinney in the second round. In the third round, they selected Matt Paird at 99. I think it was 99 or somewhere around there. Don't quote me on it. Um, But going back to the O'Shane Zimenez thing, I think it was actually pick 95. I think I'm mixing stuff up. But it was still a late third round pick. So you go into 2020, new offensive system, new, you know, just new surroundings for Daniel Jones and the offense and the wide receivers because 
Jason Garrett's in, Joe Judge is in, but also you have a pandemic year where you don't have, um, you know, the preseason, you don't have training camp like you're really supposed to, and you also don't have the mini camps because they're all virtual via Zoom. So obviously that did a lot of damage towards the offense. You could say for the first four games because, um, you know, for the first four games, it seems like it was very defense dependent other than week three because the Giants got crushed. So um, Golden Tate didn't play week one. Sterling Shepard got injured part of the 2020 season. And just after a while, it came evident that the Giants needed weapons. And this is not just, you know, going off of Jason Garrett's lack of creativity for the offense, but it also goes off of uh, you need wide receivers. Golden Tate was not what he used to be. He's edging out of his prime, and they didn't use him correctly. Sterling Shepard, red zone target, but a lot of the short passes, again, this is not, you know, I think a lot of the, towards the end of the season, the offensive production, um, let's just go back for it a little bit. Let's go to the Eagles game, because a lot of Giant fans say, oh, you know, Daniel Jones uh, didn't do a lot in the Eagles game. It was just the running game. Well, that's wrong. First of all, it was the running game, too. But at the same time, you know, the pass to Deion Lewis, the pass to Sterling Shepard downfield, the pass to Darius Slayton downfield, the pass to Golden Take downfield, what did they all lead to? Touchdowns. So I think that's where a lot of people, you know, just miss context there. And let's rewind a couple of weeks. So Golden Tate, we didn't know this till everything happened, but Golden Tate was not happy about his involvement in the offense. And... What happened was, is that, you know, he caught a touchdown pass late in the game against the Bucs in week eight. He says to the camera, throw me the ball. And then later that night, his wife goes on Instagram, I think, or it was like something else. I think it was Instagram. And she basically complains about his lack of involvement in the offense. And, um, listen, do I sympathize with Golden Tate on that subject? Yes, I do. But... Throw me the ball sounds like you're blaming Daniel Jones instead of blaming Jason Garrett. You know, there are better ways of saying and expressing your, I would say, grievances with the offense than just, you know, going on live camera on primetime football and saying, throw me the ball. So that's obviously, you know, what he did. And he got suspended. Well, he didn't get suspended, but he was benched for a game against the Washington football the next week. Uh, the Giants ended up winning that game, but that necessarily didn't have to do anything with the suspension. Austin Mack actually got some, you know, passes that game, and it was a 50-yard pass. But nonetheless, let's just go to the, I would say, outlook of that. And let's basically summarize it um, for the wide receivers, at least. And then I'll go into, you know, just the other uh, picks that we got in that trade and also the other guard, Kevin Zeitler and Jabril Peppers. So... Giants are going to be looking for another wide receiver one in free agency NFL draft because every Giant fan knew, you know, that, uh, you know, Golden Tate was not going to stay here all four years. And at some point you needed somebody. Basically, let's bring this out right now. A lot of Giant fans think that he was meant to replace OBJ as that number one 1600 yard wide receiver, which didn't make any sense. Um, I think that's Giant fans just being Giant fans and being very overreactive and just, you know, brash for no reason so in my opinion was it the best move for the Giants that offseason no it wasn't because I think there was a lot of needs on the defensive side you could have assessed rather than just a wide receiver to replace Odell Beckham Jr and 
I don't remember the wide receiver class. I don't think it was that good, or I have to look back at the wide receiver class. I know it wasn't as good as 2020, but I think Golden Tate was signed to be the veteran security blanket for Daniel Jones or whoever the heir was going to be. I never thought that he was going to be, oh, Odell Beckham Jr., 1,000 yards. No, I was not thinking that at the time. I'm not thinking that right now. Um, the Giants cut Golden Tate in the offseason. Obviously, that was a couple of days ago, Six. million in cap space saved with that. Um, Darius Slayton, as far as he goes, he's good value when it comes to being a fifth-round pick, but he's not a number one wide receiver. I think that they depended on him way too much, and he struggled this year. He had about, I believe, six drops, which is a lot for, you know, Darius Slayton. He had that sophomore slump, and there was only two games where he had over 100 yards. It was the Cowboys game, and it was the Steelers game. So there you go. And one thing for Sterling Shepard, he needs to stay healthy, but I do like him as a receiver a lot. Great red zone threat. And, you know, if he's used properly, great. And let's just finish this off a little bit before we get to other draft picks and stuff. I know I'm going a long time in here with the OBJ trade, but trust me, the Williams trade will probably be shorter because, you know, there's only one pick that we can say from that trade has been, you know, at least picked and you know basically judging off that but we'll get to that and one of the reasons that the Giants traded OBJ was that he was causing way too much havoc in the locker room you know you saw it with Eli in his last I would say full starting year where he went on ESPN radio with Josina Anderson and Lil Wayne basically talking about, you know, trashing the offense. Tra- I don't know what he trashed. I never actually listened to the interview. But he trashed, you know, basically Eli. And Eli, you know, he was Eli. He necessarily didn't rip him. He didn't say anything to him. But, you know, Pat Shermer was pissed. And do I like Pat Shermer as a head coach? Do I like what he did for the Giants? No, I did not. But at the same time, when you're right, you're right. You know, like they say about clocks, they're right two times a day. So, Shermer was obviously right to be mad at OBJ, and there was the Coke incident in, like, Italy or something, and, you know, there were just way too many situations, in my opinion, that caused him to, you know, and you're in the New York market, so it's not going to be like you're in Kansas City or you're in somewhere in Texas where this is not going to be picked up. No, it is New York, and if you can't live in New York, and if you can't, you know, live in the New York market and can't stand it, then you got to go somewhere else. Sonny Gray is a prime example of that. But just to basically finish off this wide receiver thing, obviously the Tate thing with not being involved in the offense, it is a sparky situation. It's nothing that compares to the OBJ thing, though. Shermer wasn't right with all the locker room decisions and with, you know, the Janoris Jenkins thing, you know, going back to, oh, I'm not trailing the number one wide receiver. Um... Obviously, there were issues with that, but OBJ wouldn't have lasted in a rebuild culture either way. And the Giants are not getting him back. All these, you know, fake beat reporters and all these pundits online on Giants Twitter say, oh, I'll take OBJ back. I would not take OBJ back because he's going to be, you know, 30 sometime soon, and he hasn't cleaned up his uh, act yet, at least outside the football field. You know, inside the football field, he's a great receiver. But you know what? He's a diva. And let's be honest. You know, he's a prima donna. And he likes attention for himself. And let's be honest. Only one winning season out of him. And I'm not saying, you know, the Giants, uh, 
you know, it's all OBJ's fault that the Giants haven't won the last couple of years. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that him and winning do not go together. I'm just going to say that. And it's some strange correlation. Yes, I know. But at the same time, it's recognizable. So let's go into the other draft picks. And I don't want to make this too long of a thing, but at the same time, it is a podcast. So let's go into the other picks that the Giants received in there and also the other assets the Giants received in that trade. So Kevin Zeitler, and he was, you know, I looked him up when the Giants actually traded for him in the one trade that ended up being a part of the other trade. And I said, this guy's a good guard. I mean, you know, he's never received a Pro Bowl invite. He's never been an All-Pro, but he's a good solid guard. And I don't know why the Browns would give him up. Obviously, cap hit is the reason why. And the Giants ended up restructuring that as soon as they got him. So Zeidler in 2019, when he was pass blocking, which is his strong suit, three sacks and 22 pressures. That was good on an offensive line that gave up, I believe, 40 sacks, 38 sacks, something like that. And then 2020, three sacks, 20-plus pressures, and he had some trouble with stunts towards the end of the season. The offensive line struggled. I mean, they gave up like 50 sacks, but he was one of the more solid pieces on the offensive line other than Nick Gates so I do consider that pick a win at least I mean if the Giants cut him you know obviously that will be for another video if I want the Giants to cut Kevin Zeitler or not that will probably be coming sometime soon because free agency is around the corner so you look at Jabril Peppers and he his first rookie season in Cleveland wasn't great and then you come off his 2018 season in Cleveland it wasn't bad and then um, what a lot of Giants fans complain about, and I've harped on this as well, is the lack of linebackers or safeties that can cover tight ends that we have been able to accumulate. Now, um, Authentic actually started the conversation that really brought this video up is because, you know, he started on Twitter, and shout out to him, he's a good content creator, but I don't necessarily agree with him and all the points because he is a big OBJ guy. And he's saying, oh, you know, Jabril Peppers was beat by Boston Scott on one of the passes in the Eagles game that cost us. That is right. But what people overlook with this whole situation, and a lot of Giant fans want Chaz Surratt and all these coverage linebackers coming out of the draft. Meanwhile, they could use Jabril Peppers to cover tight ends and cover running backs. I don't think he's bad at it. You know, you look at the Washington game, for example. Logan Thomas, he was a, you know, a weapon for them this season. Look at the second Washington game. He had him covered like nothing. And this was the first season, at least I think so, that the Giants did not have a tight end or running back go over 100 receiving yards. Back in the past with Ogletree and Casillas and all those other guys, you know, they would probably have Zach Ertz go for 100 yards or something like that. But it's been a while since a tight end has been the main receiver wrecking us. Zach Ertz didn't wreck us this year. Dallas Goddard didn't wreck us this year. Logan Thomas didn't do that. Sure, he may have gotten one or two touchdowns, but he didn't wreck us this year. Uh, let's see, Blake Jarwin. He didn't do what he did in 2019 and totally wreck us. Also, you know, obviously going back to 2018, that last game where he got three touchdowns. So there, I would consider Jabril Peppers a safe win. And he's also good in the run game. So I believe he really stepped up his play this season. Obviously, he had that interception against Alex Smith, but he really stepped up his play this season to where I could say, okay, he's a good piece to have on this roster, and you know I would like to have him for the long term. Obviously, Peppers, I believe, is like 26 years old. 
he is actually, let's say, 25 years old. So he's still young and he still has, you know, um, a lot of room to improve on certain aspects. But coverage, tackling, and that stuff, to me, isn't a weakness with him. And he had two and a half sacks this season, which isn't a problem because you will have, you know, blitzes and different types of stuff that Patrick Graham does. That's what I love about Patrick Graham. He's creative. Uh, not just James Betcher, where you're blitzing every guy on every single down. So let's go to Dexter Lawrence and. The past theme is something I'm really worried about with this next draft class, or at least, you know, the draft class from 2020 is what if they have a sophomore slump? And I've really seen it, or at least paid attention to it in the last how many years under the Shermer guys. Um, But when you go to Joe Judge, they obviously regressed a little bit. And the one guy that didn't regress with the 2019 draft class under their second season you could make an argument that that was Dexter Lawrence, that he did not regress. And you can't say this or that or the other thing because, you know, you could say how many sacks, how many pressures he got. But at the same time, he is a defensive interior, defensive tackle, whatever you want to call it. And it is very hard getting pressure from the interior going up against 340-pound guards on the inside, whether it be a center or guard. You know, it's very hard. And Dexter Lawrence was one of the most double-teamed defensive tackles in the league this year. So that's what Giant fans have to look forward on and basically look upon before they say, oh, Dexter Lawrence, he's only got four sacks, whatever. And if you look at the last two years of his production, you know, he had two and a half sacks in his rookie year, and he also had four this year, which is pretty good for him. You know, you look at that, that was more, and the two and a half sacks, that was more than his last year at Clemson. I mean, I don't think they won the championship that year, and if they did, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. But, you know, just shows that he's steadily improving as one of the underrated defensive tackles in the NFL. And, you know, I said this on Diggy's stream on Sunday. What I said was, I'm not that concerned with losing Williams as far as running game goes because you have Dexter Lawrence, you have B.J. Hill. What I'm concerned with is the passing game. Are they going to be able to generate the pressure from the interior? That's what I will be worried about in that case. But as far as Dexter Lawrence goes, he's giving me less and less of a worry every year. Now you go to O'Shane Zimenez, who is a tricky character when it comes to this Giants roster. And in his first year, he did fairly well. He only played like, I want to say, 45% of the snaps. Um, I could take a look at his stats at the moment. So let me go to that right now. And... Uh, He had four and a half sacks in his rookie year. He had about 12 pressures. And as I said, he only started two of the games. He didn't get much playing time. And he had 12 pressures, four and a half sacks. That was the same amount of sacks that Lorenzo Carter had. And Lorenzo Carter had more playing time than him. So everybody was basically getting the feeling about O'Shane Zimenez that they did Lorenzo Carter in his rookie year. So with that, Giants fans, you know, were hopeful that he was going to turn into this 12-sack guy. And obviously, I had my fingers crossed at the same time that he would turn into something. But at the same time, I didn't, you know, shout out, oh, uh, you know, O'Shane Zimenez is going to get, you know, 12 sacks this season. I had, you know, at least a feeling because of what Lorenzo Carter experienced in his second year. I'm like, okay, if he doesn't impress me, at least I know to expect it. So what happened was, is within the first couple of games this year, he did not play much. And you could harp on, oh, he got injured, he did this, he did that. You know, they didn't favor him. They didn't favor him. That's absolutely right. 
And if you look at the amount of defensive snaps he played, sure, we have a lot of linebackers. But through the first four to five games with O'Shane Zimenez, you know, they didn't play Carter Coughlin yet. They didn't play Cam Brown yet. They only played Marcus Golden a minimal amount. Uh, Kyler Frackwell was probably taking most of the snaps. Lorenzo Carter, the same thing. So it's not like, you know, you had Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin playing. No, you didn't. You know, O'Shane Zimenez, they just probably, in my opinion, didn't favor him as much as the other guys. You look at the snap count, or at least the snap percentages in the first couple of games against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he only played 41%, which is probably about where you want to start, maybe. But in the next game against the Bears, he only played 29%. That's extremely low. You go to the 49ers game where we got crushed, 58%. And we got blown out that game. You go to the next game, which is the final game he played that season, or this season, I should say, 33%. So obviously, they didn't like him as much as they did Lorenzo Carter. And for whatever that reason may be, they just didn't like him. And that, in my opinion, will probably decide, you know, at least to some people, did we win this trade? Did we lose this trade? He's kind of going to be that factor for you know a lot of people deciding or still on the boat or you know still on the edge about this trade whether the Giants won this or not so at least that's the comment I'm gonna make about it and if just to make a point and when we're talking about what the Giants received in this trade O'Shane Zimenez is probably the lowest or at least the least productive of what came out of that trade so at least I'll make that comment now obviously I have to be fair with the Cleveland Browns, you know, who they received, obviously, OBJ and Olivier Vernon and what they did. So let's quickly go to that. And I'll pull it up right now. Obviously, I'm looking at a doc because something didn't print, but that's, you know, not necessarily my issue. So let's go to what Olivier Vernon did in his first year. Obviously, they got a shade and they got a taste of what Olivier Vernon was. In the first year with the Giants, he had eight and a half sacks. The next year, he had, I think, six and a half. And then the next year, he had, what was it, seven. He made the Pro Bowl, luckily enough. But they got a smell and a taste of his inconsistency. Not just, you know, being injured and not playing in games, but just, like, not being totally recognizable on the field. Um, His current stat line for 2019, three and a half sacks, Four tackles for a loss, 11 quarterback hits, and only 17 pressures on the quarterback. Now, you look at OBJ, probably the exact opposite of what Olivier Vernon had in terms of production. You had 74 receptions, 1,035 yards, 14 yards per reception, four touchdowns, and 55.6 catch percentage. Obviously, I like to include the catch percentage. So, things kind of flipped in 2020. Odell Beckham Jr., he only played seven games, tore his ACL, 23 receptions, 319 yards, three touchdowns, 53.5 catch percentage, and one rushing touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys. Now look at Olivier Vernon, nine sacks, 28 quarterback pressures, 16 quarterback hits, and one forced fumble. Probably, I would say, his second best or third best season in his career because obviously he had that big season in Miami, and he obviously had that big season, his first season with the Giants. So, obviously, Olivier Vernon, you got to look at the stats, but you also got to take it with a grain of salt because of his inconsistency and his injury history because he missed how many games? In 2020, he missed two games. In 2019, he missed six games. So, that's a lengthy, you know, 
I would say, amount of games. Now, you look at Odell Beckham Jr. in 2019. I'm pretty sure he played all 16. If not, he played like 15 or 14. You go to 2020 for his ACL, only played seven. And what to take a grain of salt with OBJ is the fact that a lot of rumors are still swirling about the Browns trying to trade him. And, you know, his drama with the pooping thing. And, you know, I'm not going to get into that because that's disgusting. Even if it's not true, it's disgusting that anyone would try to come up with a rumor like that. But my point is, there's still drama surrounding and there's still rumors about the Browns trying to move him in this offseason or the last offseason. And you have to keep in mind as well, going back to what the Giants, you know, when they traded him, is that they signed him to a five-year, $95 million extension. So it was a sign-in trade that really didn't work, and the Giants are still paying for it probably to this day. So uh, just to make a final opinion, at least about that stuff, as I said, Eugene Zimenez is the one unknown piece in that trade. And even if the Giants cut or release Seidler, I think he gave the Giants a good two seasons. It depends who they replace him with, but obviously that is outside the trade. Dexter Lawrence, as I said, is the only Gettleman pick not to slump in his second season. Jabril Peppers became more of a playmaker on the Giants defense than he was in 2019. Obviously in 2019, he was put on injured reserve and there. Um, OBJ produced in his first year, as I mentioned, with Cleveland, but in his second year, obviously, um, tore his ACL, and now the trade rumors are still coming out. And then Vernon's first year was not great, but produced in his second year. But as I said, you have to keep in mind the inconsistency of Olivier Vernon's pass rushing and his injury history. Okay, so the next trade that I'm going over is the Leonard Williams trade. And this one, as I will probably foreshadow, has a lot of question marks. So obviously, in October of 2019, the Giants ended up trading for defensive end from the New York Jets, Leonard Williams. The Giants gave up a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick that could have turned into a fourth. I don't know if it did yet, um, but I'm pretty sure it's still a fifth uh, if the Giants retained Leonard Williams to a long-term contract. So, Giants obviously traded for him, and I wasn't a fan because I'm like, why are we trading for this guy? It is a rebuilding year, and he has absolutely no production. So, the events that followed, there's really nothing like the OBJ trade did with a pass rush and that stuff like that. Um, but I'll give you his stat line in terms of production from 2019, you know, pretty much on. And obviously with the Jets and then with the Giants. So with the Jets, I don't think he got a lot of playing time. Just basing it off of, I didn't look at his snap count. But basing it off of his stats, he either didn't produce a lot or just didn't get a lot of playing time with the defensive coordinator. I forget his name. Oh, yeah, Greg Williams. Excuse me. I don't know how I would forget that. But he had 20 tackles, and he played, I would say, the first eight games of the season. 20 tackles, five quarterback hits, and six pressures. Traded to the New York Giants. And just as something before we get into his production with the New York Giants, they went from giving up like 130 rushing yards per game to like 100 rushing yards per game, at least from some point in a stretch during the season. So obviously, Leonard Williams' trade made an impact on the New York Giants' running game, which was very good because obviously we didn't know how to stop the run. We didn't know how to stop the pass, but obviously one of the things got better as the season went on. But obviously, things started over a little bit with the new head coaching and defensive coordinator coming in. So with the Giants in how many games he played, 26 tackles, two tackles for a loss, half a sack, 11 quarterback hits, one forced fumble, and 17 pressures. He also took away... Some playing time from B.J. Hill, who sort of regressed, also didn't get much playing time after the Williams trade. So, 
You skip to 2020 in March. Dave Gettleman franchise tags him for about $16 million, if I'm not mistaken. He said he wants Khalil Mack money, gets franchise tagged ultimately, and now he's back for another season. Uh, no necessarily talks at that time about tagging and trading him. They looked to keep him for at least a year, and they did. And totally a breakout season for Leonard Williams. A lot of people didn't see it, but guys like Justin Pennick and Cop Pizzle, they saw it. They said, this guy's going to be a monster in 2020. They didn't necessarily predict the stat line, but what they said was, hey, this guy's going to be bigger than he was in 2020. So let's go into the stat line. 57 tackles, uh, 14 tackles for a loss, 11.5 sacks, 30 quarterback hits, 1 fumble recovery, and 42 pressures. And the Giants, they didn't line him up as a defensive end. They lined him up on the interior as more of a defensive tackle. And as I mentioned with Dexter Lawrence, you're going to be facing a lot of double teams. And with guards that are 340, 350 pounds in the NFL... If they're that, I mean, I don't know, you know, what the, you know, size is for that. I mean, Deontay Brown could probably qualify for that once he gets to the next level. But my point is, is that, you know, it's tougher to get pressure on the interior than it is from the, you know, defensive end spot, like outside linebacker and just 4-3 defensive end. So that is great considering that he had that type of production with the Giants in 2019. One of the main defensive stars. And considering that he, you know, played on the defensive interior and not as a defensive end or an outside linebacker, it was great that he produced that type of, you know, production for the Giants in 2020. And let's summarize it. Obviously, Dave Gettleman makes the risky trade in a rebuild year. Williams improves his play, and he did improve his play, though he only got half a sack. He improved his play, gets franchise tagged in March, Overachieves in 2020, has a career year, and obviously, like 2019 slash 2020 or whatever in that year, Leonard Williams wants $20 million a year. Now, obviously, before I go to the Leonard Williams subject, because this will obviously, you know, being that he's a free agent, I have to talk about it. And, you know, I want to be fair. Let's talk about Ashton Davis. Now, my brother's a Jets fan, so maybe he gives you uh, on the next episode a more. I would say, Jet fan perspective of Ashton Davis. So Ashton Davis, just looking at his stat line, he didn't play a lot of games. Um, In coverage, he wasn't that great, 73.1 completion percentage against, and he allowed four touchdowns. Um, Only two pressures on the blitzes, no sacks, but he wasn't necessarily... I think he got more playing time towards the end of the year. I don't know. I would have to go back and do my research. But he didn't seem like a big playmaker that, you know... I mean, he's a third-round pick, so you're not going to say, oh, he's going to be this, you know, star safety right away. No, that's what the Jets expected is him getting, you know, special teams reps, then getting reps later on the season on the defense. So let's cut it down to the opinions, the summary. And this will probably end the podcast episode because we are probably at like 40 minutes already. So this trade has no definite winner, in my opinion, right now. Because we don't know what the Jets are going to do. We don't know what they're going to do in terms of you know Joe Douglas and what Robert Sala wants in the fifth round. Maybe the fourth round they move it up to if the Giants sign him in time. But I don't know that that's going to change. There is no winner right now. But the Giants are definitely in front. Because you know though you get the first year with half a sack and he did improve his play from the Jets to the Giants... He got his 11.5 sack year with the New York Giants and only playing under $16 million contract. You're not, you know, paying him $23 million a year and getting, you know, 
average production out of a defensive interior. That's not what happened. Um, Ashton Davis has yet to progress, so I can't necessarily put my bias into it and say, oh, you know, the Giants definitely won this trade. No, the Giants did not win this trade yet, but they are the front runners right now. Ashton Davis has yet to progress, and he'll probably do something, I don't know, maybe in Robert Sala's new defensive system. But um, two seasons for Leonard Williams with 12 sacks and one franchise tag year, I believe is a winning strategy, or at least an event or a group of events that puts the Giants as the front runners in this trade. And obviously, once again, the Jets have to make their draft pick and then develop the guy. And we won't know this for years. But right now, the Giants seem like the front runners to win this trade. So that's pretty much it for this episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. I did not have an episode last week related to the Yankees. I will probably do a spring training sum up um, on Friday of all the games and stuff. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. I know I got a lot of views on the last episode, or at least the last Giants episode with the Hub, we talked about the backup quarterbacks in the tight ends position. So obviously that was fun with him. I always go on his Collins show. Uh, look out tonight. I might go on his Collins show again. I'm probably going to reveal my mock offseason that I did with Kevin Walters, who's Uncut Giants on Instagram, and Keith Archer, who's All Day Giants or All Things Giants. I forget one of them, you know, and he changed it up a little bit. But anyway, thank you guys for supporting. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Uh, through the developments of this channel. I will definitely have more stuff coming through, and we'll see you on Friday.